I'm going to uh, read from 1 John chapter 5, just two verses we're going to look at this evening. 1 John 5, 11 and 12. 1 John chapter 5, 11 and 12. If you've got a Bible, please follow. That'd be great. John writes this. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for those words we've just sung, words of confidence in knowing Jesus, in Christ alone, standing in his love, his life, the power of his death, the blessing that is ours in him. And we pray this evening as we come to these two powerful verses of scripture, and as we hear these words, we ask that we would each one of us be able to leave this church this evening singing a song like In Christ Alone with bigger, bolder, happier confidence than ever because we've seen something of how good and kind Jesus is to us. We pray it in his name. Amen. Well, our theme this evening is eternal life. Eternal life. It's a key theme in um, John's writings in the New Testament. It's certainly here in this letter quite a few times, and it's in John's gospel as well quite heavily. And these two verses we've just read, they're, they're, they're pretty sharp and to the point verses, aren't they? They sort of give us a little rundown. It's almost sort of bullet points. God gave us eternal life. This life is in God's Son. And if you have the Son, you have this life. If you don't have him, the son, you don't have life. Now, um, I always think eternal life is one of those sort of slightly churchy phrases, isn't it, that we, um, we say, we're quite used to it. If you've maybe been around church even for just a few months, perhaps, um, you know, you've probably heard that phrase. If you've been in church your whole life, you don't even think about it when you hear it. Eternal life. What is eternal life? What is it that John says God gave us? What is eternal life in the Son? Uh, I wonder if we probably naturally assume it's, uh, it's something like unending existence, right? Just life that goes on forever. So we might think of um, you know, the various quests that people have gone on uh, to try and live forever. You know, I'm thinking of things like in the ancient world, you know, the legends of Cleopatra, Remember, the legend is, I don't know if it's true, but that she used to bathe every day in donkey's milk to sort of preserve uh, you know, her youthful appearance and her skin and so on. Lots of us today do the same. I don't know if anyone here buys oil of Olay products, which I, I discovered promise beautiful, ageless skin. Um, I'm sure many of us would be interested in that if it actually worked. Even in a congregation as young and good-looking as this one, I'm sure we'd all be interested in some of that. Um, we think of eternal life, and maybe we think of like modern scientists who are working on cryogenically freezing life forms so that they can be kind of suspended, you know, frozen, 
and defrosted later on um, when you know, we've found a way of keeping our life going. So scientists have been, I was reading about it this week, experimenting with fish embryos and so on. They seem to have had some success in trying to cryogenically freeze fish embryos and defrost them. It all feels a bit sort of Jurassic Park, but with fish. It's, a, it's these sort of quests to keep our lives going indefinitely, on and on and on. Is that eternal life? Is that what eternal life is? Is it unending existence? No. Actually, no. Scripture is really clear on this point. Actually, it turns out from the Bible that we are all destined to live forever anyway. That's going to happen. None of us will be able to avoid aging and death and so on. But after our deaths, we will continue to live spiritually. And at the end of history, when Jesus Christ returns, our bodies will also be raised up, and every one of us will live for endless ages. Defrosted or not, we are going to live for eternity. And that is the consistent teaching of Scripture. And that fact isn't the thing that John means by eternal life. That, that definition of eternal life, the one that we might just naturally think up, it essentially looks at my life now, my existence as it is, um, and it kind of maybe has a bit of a panic attack at the, the passing of time, a bit of a panic attack at the white hairs that I spot on my head when I look in the bathroom mirror, or for some reason when I'm in the car, and uh, the sunlight is coming in, and then I see in the rearview mirror, I think, oh my goodness, how many? Are, are you kidding? <laughs> um, or maybe the little spare tire of middle age that uh, emerges when I've been to Cornwall for a week and had three cream teas in a row, which I just did this week. <laughs> and this view of eternal life looks at that existence that is fading away and that is aging and decaying, and it desperately tries to preserve and extend it, and cling on to it, and keep it going. And that is not what John means by eternal life. That is not the thing that this passage is speaking about. Jesus, in John's Gospel, John 17, Jesus defines eternal life for us really directly as a different kind of life altogether. Not this one that is passing away and decaying, but a different kind of life altogether. Perhaps if you've got a Bible, you want to turn with me to John 17, John's Gospel, chapter 17. And we read there in verse 3, Jesus's definition of eternal life. So what is it according to Jesus? John 17. Jesus is praying here just before he goes to his crucifixion. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That is eternal life. 
Eternal life, Jesus says, is to know the only true God, the Father in heaven, and to know Jesus Christ, his Son. That is eternal life. It's not about timing. It's not about chronology or number of years. It is about knowing and being in relationship with the living God. That is eternal life. Now, anyone can exist. We all do, and we all will exist. But do you have life? Do you really live? Do you really live? Now, many of us might say something like, you know, I feel most alive when I'm out in the wilds of nature, you know, in a mountain or sea swimming or something like that, or I feel most alive when I'm with my precious family and friends. But to have real life, Jesus says, isn't a matter of sort of just feeling something a lot. You know, you know kind of maybe you're into extreme sports and you feel most alive when you're sort of off-piste on a dangerous mountain and you feel most alive almost when your life is, you know, right on the edge. It's not a matter of always trying to be the best version of yourself all the time, and that's when I feel most alive. Because the fact is, all of those things could be taken away from us at any time. All of those things will eventually be taken away from us. The only life that is eternal and that is truly life is the life of God to know God the Father, to know Jesus Christ. In a way, for you and I to have eternal life is that we share in the life of eternity, the life of God in eternity. That is what it is to have eternal life, that we share in the life that God has eternally had, the life of eternity. So let's think about what that is. That might sound a little bit uh, abstract, uh, it's, you know, late on a warm Sunday, you probably all had a, uh, you know, all sorts going on the last week, and bank holiday Monday, what is this man talking about? Sharing in eternity, what is that? What is the life of God in eternity? What was going on before there was anything? What was happening before there was anything? Before the mountains and the seas and the earth and space, before history and the universe began, when there was just the living God, eternal, infinite, unchanging. What was that like? What was that life like? What was God doing before he made the world? Well, if you're still in John 17, I want you to skip down to verse 24 because Jesus tells us. What was God doing before he made the world? What is the life of God in eternity? Jesus tells us, John 17, 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. What was God doing before he made the world? He was loving his son. God the Father was loving his son. 
In fact, that verse tells us that he glorified his son. We can piece together um, from the rest of the scriptures and say also that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, was present eternally, part of this loving, eternal fellowship in God. The life of God in eternity, before anything else, is a never-ending, perfect fountain of love. That is the life of God in eternity. That is the eternal life. God the Father pouring out delighted, happy love upon his Son in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. John says in his letter twice, God is love. God is love. Because love alone uniquely marks out who God is in himself. Before there was anything else, God loved. Think about it like this. God has done all sorts of things, hasn't he? God's done all kinds of things throughout history, but they are not all things that he has and does eternally. For example, God created the world, but the world isn't eternal. That means that being the creator, in a sense, doesn't eternally define him, if you see what I'm saying. That's not something he has always done. That's not eternal. God is angry at sin, but sin isn't eternal. There hasn't always been sin in the world. And so, therefore, being angry or wrathful or being a judge doesn't eternally define him. Those things flow from who he was before they were. Those things flow from who God is in himself, in eternity. And in himself, in eternity, who is God? He is primarily a father giving life and love to his son in the Holy Spirit. Everything else God does, everything else he has ever done, flows from this basic, most fundamental, most important starting point. God, in his eternal life, is love. And just notice, isn't that a million miles away from the sorts of things perhaps you're taught at university, the things you read in the paper today. Generally, aren't we led to believe that at the beginning of the universe was just nothing? You know, here we are, and it's just chaos and colliding matter and chance, and, well, we've sort of come to be and good for us. We better make the most of it while we're here, but there's no real reason or rhyme or meaning or purpose to us. But here as Jesus tells us about reality. As Jesus comes and tells us how things really are, we learn that the primary, most important thing in the whole of reality, the thing that begins it all, is eternal love. Eternal loving relationship, fellowship of Father, Son, and Spirit. Friends, that is square one of everything. That is the beginning of it all. They are, their relationship their fellowship together in eternity is a fountain, a fountain of love. It doesn't end, and so it overflows. From the fellowship of Father, Son, and Spirit flows creation. 
as God decides to make the world. It flows out salvation as God brings men and women to himself. Why am I here? Why do I exist? What is the purpose of life? No answer to those questions is as good and as satisfying as the one that Jesus gives because God is love. Because God wants you to know his love. That is why you're here. That's why you were born. That's why he thought of you before you were even conceived. That's why you exist. The message of the gospel, the heart of the Christian faith, is that you and I are invited to know that eternal life, that eternal love of God in our own lives. That's what it's all about. We can know it now, today. You can know this love in your life today. And you can know it forever, stretching beyond your physical death and into endless years and ages of enjoying the kindness, the generosity, the grace, and the mercy of God to you. So I want us to move in our minds now from eternity past to eternity ahead of us. Eternity ahead, eternal life, what will it be? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13 that all of the gifts that God gives to us will eventually pass away. Have you ever spotted that? All the gifts that God gives to us will pass away. Prophecy will finish. The gift of tongues will end. Gifts of knowledge will be gone. But he says, love never ends. Love never ends. Love is greater, he says, even than faith and hope. Because one day we're not going to need either of those two things. A day will come when you no longer need to hope because you will have God and be with him. And you'll no longer need to have faith and trust because your faith will be turned to sight and you'll see the Lord and have him in your life fully, completely, forever. Faith and hope will be gone. And the greatest of these, Paul says, is love. Because love is the one gift of the Holy Spirit that will always be with us. We will never be finished with the love of God. One day you'll be finished with your hoping, and you'll be finished with having to have faith. You will never, ever run out, be finished with the love of God. Even as we pass into eternity, that will be the thing the Holy Spirit keeps giving, keeps giving. Can you imagine the life of God in heaven now? Can you imagine it? The God of love in his home. You know how someone's home always you know, bears the mark of who they are, doesn't it? Their personality, their, their tastes, the things they care about. Heaven is the palace of the king of love. It's his home, it's where he lives. In 1749, great preacher Jonathan Edwards called heaven a world of love. I'm about to, for the next few minutes, nick from a sermon of his. I hope you don't mind a bit of, bit of plagiarism. Edward said this, I love this, the glorious presence of God in heaven fills heaven with love 
as the sun placed in the midst of the sky in a clear day fills the world with light. That's how God is in heaven. He fills it with love. It beams out from him. It's filled with his love. And on the last day when Jesus returns, he comes from heaven to earth, he will be answering our prayer that we pray often on a Sunday, that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? That's what Jesus is going to come and do. He's going to answer that prayer. Heaven is going to come to earth. Love, God's love, will then become the defining feature, not just of heaven where God is now, but here on earth. The love of God will be the defining feature of your future. The love of God poured out when Christ returns. The infinite, perfect love of God will chase out all hatred, all ugliness, Everything that is dark and wicked and sinful that causes us suffering and hurt, it will all be driven out by the light of the love of God. Edward says the Holy Spirit will still be poured forth in perfect love into every heart. Now think of what that will do for your love for God when you know in full the love of God for you, what will that do for your love for God? That love for him which now is often so fickle and weak, well, it's suddenly going to skyrocket, isn't it? You'll finally have real clarity, full appreciation of just how much God loves you. And for the first time, you will see that he has loved you from eternity and into eternity And for the first time, you'll be able to express gratitude and love in return to him without any sin, without any just natural human ignorance clogging it all up. No longer will we love God with a shameful, half-hearted love. You'll love him in a way you've never loved him before. You'll understand the depths of the cross of Jesus that the Son of God came and laid down his life for you. Maybe you feel like you appreciate that now. We've sung about it this evening in Christ alone. Maybe you feel like that's the most wonderful gift now. I think we're going to appreciate it in a whole new way when we see him as he is. When heaven meets earth and Jesus will open our eyes to the fountain of love that is in his heart for you, far beyond anything you've seen or understood so far. On that day, the love of God will also transform how you see other people and everything else. In the light of his love, when the love of God is shining at full strength, nothing is going to seem to us to be unlovely. We will all be absorbing the compassion, the kindness, the love of Jesus, and we'll see everybody, each one of us, beautified, made whole in his love. Wherever you look, whatever you see, you will only see, Edward says, beauty and glory. And we will begin to love as we have been loved. For the first time, we will all be perfectly loved, perfectly lovely, and perfectly loving, just as our God is. All of our relationships will be characterized by love. 
No more falling out. No more jealousy. No secret disdain for one another. Just think of now how even with the people you love, maybe the people who are closest to you, whether it's uh, family or uh, housemates or whatever, even the love that we give to people now can so easily get polluted, can't it, by all kinds of motivations that are mixed and all sorts of rubbish that we, we maybe try and pass off something as looking out for each other when really it's just gossip and all that kind of stuff. But then, on that day, when Jesus comes and the love of God is finally shown to us in full, we're going to be so satisfied and happy in the presence of God that we will be humble, holy people, honestly happy to see other people happy. Honestly happy to see other people shining with the light of the glory of God. And you will never doubt the love of others for you, as you're probably prone to do now. You'll never feel insecure in your friendships and relationships again. Because their love and your love will be pure and perfect. There'll be no sneaking suspicions of flattery or faking. All the fears that maybe now plague your friendships and relationships will be driven away by the love of God. Can you imagine that? A life where you know you know without any creeping anxiety that you are perfectly, totally loved by God, where you love him in return without any whisper of shame or inadequacy, a life where you are completely secure in the love of the people around you that you care about, and you are able to love them in return without feeling exposed or vulnerable, where you love people with such a generous freedom that you yourself only become all the more open and generous and lovely. The future before us is a world of unshakable, unquenchable love. What mercy and kindness to people like us who are so undeserving, so ungrateful that God would pour out from his heart this ocean of blessing, fountains of love. This is the life of eternity. This is eternal life. It's ours in eternity if we trust in Christ. This is the life we have to look forward to. And it's the life that is now growing in us. It's been implanted in us by the Spirit. And even now, if you trust in the Lord, it's growing in you. The Spirit has marked you out. He's guaranteed this future for you. And the Christian life now is a life of love because we are marked out and destined for this life of eternity that is to come. It was in the very heart of God before we ever existed. And it is the defining feature of the life to come. Eternal life is to know this God in his love. I want to finish with two applications, two brief applications. Firstly, to Christians. If you are a believer in Jesus, this eternal life is yours now. This life is yours. John says, those who have the Son have life. God has already begun 
Christian brothers and sisters, he has already begun to reveal his love to you. You know already the forgiveness of Jesus. You know that the Father has adopted you and calls you his son, his daughter. You know already the comfort and the presence of the Holy Spirit. You're already tasting eternal life. You're tasting it already. But I want to encourage you, give yourself every day to know and enjoy this love of God. Get used to it. It's what you're going to be doing for endless ages. Jesus prayed in John 17, 23, that Christians would know that the Father has loved them, he says, even as you have loved me. John 17, 23, what a verse. Jesus praying that we would know the Father loves us even as he loves his Son. God the Father, the Father of all love, looks on his Son, the object of his eternal delight and blessing and pleasure and joy, and along with him, he looks at you. He looks at you. Yesterday we had a wedding here in church, and one family gained a new daughter, and another family gained a new son. And I can tell you there was love in the eyes of both sets of parents as they welcomed into their families a new son and daughter, as their child gave themselves to their new spouse. God the Father looks on his son, and along with him he looks at you. Get used to the beaming smile of God. Believe that he loves you. Know how much Jesus, his perfect son, pleases him. And believe it of yourself. Whatever you've done, however you've fallen this week, however weak and doubting and sinful, if you are simply clinging on to Jesus, this eternal life and this eternal love is yours. And let that begin to transform you even now. Don't wait till heaven to learn the ways of God's love in your heart. Pray that where you're hard and cynical, that that stuff will melt away. Come regularly to the cross, where you hear on the one hand that there's nothing good that lives in you, and on the other hand, that Jesus has done everything that is necessary all for you. If you live in his love like this now, if you can come to the cross and see those things, you'll know how to love other empty-handed sinners, the people who push your buttons, the people who rub you up the wrong way, the people who wind you up. When you stand before the cross, you won't look down on them so much because you'll know what it's like to be a sinner who's loved. And you'll start to feel pretty amazed and glad to share with them in the love of God. This is eternal life. You have it now. You'll have it one day in glorious fullness. But pray, pray that you'd grow into this life day by day. For you, brothers and sisters, love never ends. Second application, finally, to those who aren't yet Christians. This life is not yours now. John says, those who do not have the Son do not have life. 
And that perhaps means that as you've listened uh, tonight, um, it may all have sounded a bit strange and a bit weird. You don't really feel sure, perhaps, about the idea of heaven. Maybe you don't buy the idea of eternity. You don't believe in Jesus. You may think the idea of God is unlikely or even laughable. And friend, as things stand when Jesus returns, you won't be included in the great pouring out of his love. It will be a terrible thing to be excluded from God's eternal life in the end. And Jesus himself does not want you to be excluded. We in the church do not want you to be excluded. Our greatest hope for you, if you're not yet a Christian, is that you would come to know the God of love in your life. And it may be that actually you have some sense of the love of God. Maybe it's been mediated to you in some way, perhaps by parents who've loved you and given you everything. Maybe from friends who genuinely care for you and look after you. Maybe someone has brought you here to church this evening and you've come with them because they've made a a strange impact on your life by the way they've cared for you and taken an interest in you. You're sampling, in a small way, the love of God for you. He's calling you. He's drawing you to himself. Maybe you can't explain what's going on intellectually, but as you sat here in church this evening, something is pulling you in. You're sensing something of the love of God as he's calling out to you. This eternal life isn't yours right now, but it can be. It can be. You can receive it tonight. It can be yours tonight. Come and live in God's love now. Look forward to this future that he's promised of knowing and enjoying him forever. John says, all you need to do is have the Son. Get Jesus. Come and put your trust in Jesus. Believe and trust that even now he loves you. That he laid down his life for you on the cross. That he forgives. That he washes clean. That he saves and heals and rescues. If you will do that this very evening, everything I've spoken about is yours. Is all yours. Immediately, God will welcome you with open arms, no grudging, no hesitation. It'll all be yours. This is eternal life. This is what the Lord has promised to all who will come to the Son.